the left corner to Aguila. Aguila to the left circle. Passing to Yale. A shot. Save made by Al Aguila. Rebound. Another shot. They score! The Flames win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts. Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg. All right, we're underway on this Tuesday, May 9th. Welcome to this hour of Flames Talk from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Busy hour ahead. Lots to dive into as we continue waiting on news for the Calgary Flames. And uh, there's two big pieces of news that we're waiting for. We'll talk a little uh, Tyler Toffoli, your captain for Team Canada at the World Championship, his future with the Flames, and a whole lot more. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, live right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. It's Tuesday, so we kick off this hour by saying hello to our NHL insider, Frank Saravalli. Brought to you by South Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit South Trail Chrysler. Dot com And Frank joins us now from Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. Mr. Saravalli, how are you today? Uh, Mr. Steinberg, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, here we sit on a Tuesday, and we do not have new Flames news. We do not have uh, oh, new Flames relief. significant news. What are news. we going to talk about? I, I still have questions for you. I I'm just, sure you do. I'm disappointed in you, honestly, that you haven't gotten us new Flames news. That's all. Well, maybe I have it and I just haven't shared it. Oh, okay. What do you got? I don't know. I don't have anything, but um, (laughs) I tend to think of myself, maybe this is, it's going to sound like I'm patting myself on the back. Trust me, my arm isn't that big. You got to reach pretty far. (laughs) Um, I tended to try and be a reporter that only really shares about 10% of what I have. Okay. The rest of it, I kind of... You never know. Kind of keep to yourself. Yep, that's Talk good. under your hat for a rainy day. I like that. I like that a lot. It's good. Uh, it's a good. That's a good lesson to share with all the young reporters out there. Um, well, what are whether whether it's the ten percent you're willing to share, or maybe if you want to dip into that uh, to those reserves, but. What are you hearing on on the Flames GM search? When we spoke a week ago, it was kind of your your feel was kind of very much in the infancy. Now that they'd made the decision on Daryl Sutter's future, we're a little bit more than a week removed from that. Now, what are you hearing? What's your feel on this GM search now? I think it's ramped up, not in any sort of um, like, hey, they're going to hire someone in the next week kind of thing, but. They've certainly begun to place calls. I think Don Maloney has been doing his due diligence. And and to be fair, I think was really beginning to do it even before the decision was made to, to officially fire Daryl Sutter. But I think um, that getting done really helped uh, clarify the situation and really still, um, you know, basically clear the slate for, for someone to come in and not have any baggage that comes with them. So um, I think that has certainly made it a lot easier. And now the conversations are, are ramping up a bit in terms of, Hey, let's, let's get our list together. So they're working on that. And, and then at some point, you know, probably two weeks from now, or maybe even a little bit sooner, uh, you know, really begin in earnest the interview process and to, um, to really get moving. Cause I think a number of teams that have openings have sort of targeted June, June one as the date that they'd like to get their new people in place. Okay. Are you, uh, any names that you've heard connected that, that you're like, okay, yeah, this, this one I think is seriously in the mix. Are you hearing any names that, that you believe are serious contenders for the gig? Um, I, I do think Stan Bowman, uh, when it's all said and done, will be a serious contender. Um, and he, he will need um, clearance by the league to rejoin in, a, in an official capacity. Yep. Um, I think Craig Conroy will still be a serious contender. And I think the other part is just the unknown. Like, still really trying to wrap my brain around what that long list looks like and what type of people or person uh, are the flames looking for in terms of filling the role. Okay. What, uh, 
you know, and, and I guess this could also apply to Joel Quenville, whose name is out there recently as well. What What's the process? What needs to happen for them to be eligible to return to the NHL? What, what, uh, what are kind of the next steps in that regard? An interview uh, with the commissioner, and that's essentially it. Um, I don't expect there to be anything that stands in the way of uh, specifically Stan Bowman. I don't know as much about Joel Quenville's situation, but Stan Bowman's been actively doing the work to get back in. He's been right at the front and center of what Sheldon Keith, or sorry, Sheldon Kennedy, excuse me. Too many Sheldons on my mind today <laughs> with the Leafs. Um, but he's been working with Sheldon Kennedy and his respect group uh, really for a while now, uh, helping launch a program that they, a pilot program in the WHL specifically with regards to uh, sort of permissible conduct for players. And there's a long story to be told in terms of the exact work, but, you know, this isn't just some like uh, shake hands and, and, and kiss babies kind of thing. This has been like nose to the grindstone uh, working to try and make this sport better. And so um, I, I fully expect whenever the time comes, it's kind of like how the NHL PA certified agent process works. You're only allowed to become a certified agent if you have a viable NHL player to sign uh, in the same way that they're not going to go about clearing someone that doesn't have an authentic opportunity to get back in the game. And so whenever that happens, I'd expect him to be cleared. Okay. Uh, Bowman, would he be in the mix for Pittsburgh or any of the other open positions or potentially open positions here? Potentially. Um, I, I still think Pittsburgh's working on their list. Um, the name I keep hearing in Pittsburgh is Mark Bergervan. Okay. The name I continue to hear in Philadelphia is Eddie Olchek. Um, so that's, I think sort of where that stands in Philly at Pittsburgh is, is in some ways, I think a bit behind the flames, if that makes any sense. Like I still don't think Pittsburgh's really gotten motoring yet. Uh, they've got a lot of work to do. They're okay. on a definitely on a June one target. Okay. Uh, Frank Saravalli is with us. He's our daily faceoff NHL insider. We've got Lots happening in the playoffs, but before we get there, like there's there's a lot happening kind of away from the on ice battles in round number two. And um, I guess you know you you mentioned I I didn't even have this written down, but you mentioned Sheldon Keefe and and slip of the tongue, and there are a lot of Sheldons on the mind. What mm-hmm. what are we thinking uh, if Toronto does not pull off the unthinkable here? What are we what are we thinking happens with both Sheldon Keith behind the bench, Kyle Dubis as general manager if Toronto does indeed get knocked out here by Florida? I'm just gonna use the words Brendan Shanahan used last year to wrap up their season at his post mortem press conference. He said everything's on the table. And I, I think that's what it should be. Um, look, to get to this spot that the Leafs are in, after everyone had been building it up for so long to win one round, and the reason why everyone sort of built it up that way was because the entire year as it played out, yeah, there, there's been all these first-round failures, but it was also the thought process, but the Bruins – man, the Bruins are are right in our way. So you got to win a round. That makes everyone feel good. And I had some real concerns and expressed them to you and others that, you know, the way they celebrated was a red flag to me. And I'm not, like, the passion is great. It was more so the way the market celebrated and the manager celebrated that I was like, that's... That doesn't, that's not a good look because winning one round means nothing. And to think that in the meantime, someone did you the favor of all favors and beat the best regular season team in NHL history. And now you're going to not just stub your toe, but spit the bit down three, nothing and get outworked with your season on the line on Sunday and have all of your core star players mm-hmm. that account for 50% of your team's salary cap spending account for bagels. 
I, it's just everything should be on the table. Right. Players, coach, general manager, and I'm going to take it as far as Brendan Shanahan himself because he's been in this role for eight calendar years now and has exactly one playoff win to show for it, one series win. Mm-hmm. What is that? Who cares? One round win. Yeah. The, like, were the Flames over the moon last year when they won one round? Was anyone thinking that that was a, a real positive step in the right direction? Momentarily until the Oilers series happened and then that, that faded away pretty quick. Yeah, but were the Flames sitting there saying, no, you know, no, we're, we're world beaters or, no. or this is validating everything we've done? Yeah, absolutely not. It's crazy talk. Yeah. If, um, especially on the Dubas front, because... You know that that name has been out there, and you know it was kind. Of, it's it's been a very similar conversation, or the discourse has been very similar in that market, just at a at an even more heightened degree when it comes to his future, as it even was here in Calgary with Brad Tree Living status not having a contract beyond this year. If if the Leafs decide not to go down the Dubis route and and bring him back, how viable a candidate does he become in some of these other GM jobs out there? I, I think in a huge way, not just for GM jobs, but also president of hockey ops, potentially. Okay. Um, also in, I, I think it, there's a real chance you could see other teams fire their general manager just to get their hands on him. Okay. Like, I think he's going to be that in demand of a candidate if he were to make it to market, which is also part of the reason why I have doubts as to whether he makes it to market. As in, you think there's a, a, a solid chance Toronto does bring him back? Yeah, or yeah. I think the big question is, does he want to stay? Like, if you got to answer that one first, and then if you answer that, then it's okay. If he if he is staying, what does he want? Mm-hmm. And I've been, I certainly haven't uh, shied away from the the fact that there's definitely been discord between himself and and Brendan Shanahan. That there's a lot to work out there, and I don't know that there is room for Toronto in Toronto for both of them. Okay. As big as that market is. Uh, and as much has gone on in that that front office, there's a lot to unpack there. So there's a lot of things to sift through. Uh, when we spoke last week, Frank, the New York Rangers news hadn't happened, but I did ask you about Gerard Gallant's future, and you said, yeah, you, you are expecting a coaching change in the not-so-distant future. It does end up happening. They decide to go uh, move away from Gerard Gallant and fire him after two seasons. Now that it's happened, now that you've had a chance to talk to some people close to the situation and, and really get the full lay of the land on why this happened, what, what's your understanding? Why, after 200 Hundred plus point seasons is Gallant out as head coach of the Rangers. Well, one it, it one part of it is that they they did struggle for chunks of this year, and I think it's not just this year. Even last year, there were significant questions about the way in which the Rangers play that they don't properly support their goaltender enough to be a successful team. I think part of that is personnel. I think part of that is system and structure. So there clearly is a a recognition of that from from Chris Drury in terms of making that decision. And the other part, too, is just go back and look at Gerard Gallant's track record. Mm -hmm. He's a really good coach who's had really short stays. And so that tells me, and I think it tells the rest of the hockey world, that he's stubborn. He gets a lot out of his players. The players really like playing for him. But he doesn't really, at least from the people I've talked to, take direction well or take suggestions well from the people he works for. And the same is true for president of hockey ops and GMs to ownership as it is from coach to GM. You have to be able to manage up. And... That's a big reason why he's out after two years in New York, three years in a Stanley Cup final in Vegas, or two and a half, and two and a quarter in Florida. Mm-hmm. Those aren't long stays for a really successful, um, you know, his, his points percentage is 662 with the Rangers, north of 600 with Vegas. 
and a cup final appearance as an expansion franchise. Yep. Like to be out that quickly, it tells you there's something else going on. Does he, does he get another job here soon? Is he a guy that is uh, a viable coaching candidate with some of the open jobs that are, or, or might become available? Does he? Um, I would think so. I mean, the other part of it too, is like, I always wonder, and you saw this with Mike Babcock, like how motivated is someone to jump right back in and, and essentially work for the same amount of like work for the same amount of pay as if you were to sit on your couch and do nothing. Right. Like Mike Babcock, his contract was, uh, his $50 million deal with the Toronto Maple Leafs was front loaded. So he collected a lot of it up front. But even these last number of years, I think he was still like somewhere between four and five million bucks. His contract expires on July one. Uh, like that's that's a big deal. So he was saying no one's going to pay me that. So why would I work twice as hard to get the same amount of pay? Like there's no reason for it. So I'm not saying one way or the other what Gerard Gallant will or won't do. Some people just have the itch and want to be on the bench. Yep. And other people are like wait, you're going to pay me to not work? I'll do that. That's what I would do. I, I would love a little fun employment. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. I, I, I've always felt like my dream NHL gig would be a very gifted hockey player, sign me to a huge deal, and then buy me out like a year later. Like I want the, the Vinny LeCavalier package, which he got on two oh. occasions. Like give me that, – that, that, that probably speaks to um, some of yeah, my personality. something about us, yeah. yeah. But. I'll take not that all day. Either. No, probably not. Uh, are you uh, any any names that come to the forefront for that Rangers job right away? I think they've got a great candidate there in Chris Knobloch, right okay. on the bench in Hartford. Like he's been there for five years as a head coach in the AHL. Spent two years as an NHL assistant with the Flyers. Won major junior titles in in two different major junior leagues, which is impressive. Coached Connor McDavid and Erie for two years. And then after McDavid left, when everyone was saying, I don't know if this guy's a good coach or not, then went on to have two more 50 win seasons in Erie. Um, he's good. And my big question is though, are they willing to are they willing to go with someone that doesn't have true NHL head coaching experience? Or do they look at I'm just pulling a name out of a hat. Peter Laviolette, who's been to three different Stanley Cup finals with three different teams. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a big consideration for a team that's right in the middle of their window to win. Yep. Um, we're chatting with Frank Saravalli. He's our daily face-off NHL insider. Joins us Tuesdays here on Flames Talk. And uh, I want to wrap up our conversation by diving into uh, what I thought was a really, really cool piece that you penned uh, and uh, is up at Daily Faceoff right now. And that was all about your uh, rather exclusive access on Monday night, not just to the NHL Draft Lottery show, which we saw here on Sportsnet and... More so about what happened before that, because what we saw on television and the revealing of the draft order was only the aftermath of the actual lottery drawing, which you were in the room for, sequestered for, and uh, yeah, like you were uh, straight up locked down as you were watching this process. So I guess just take us through it. Like you, you got something that very, rare, very, very rarely people get to get eyes on the actual process leading up to the revealing of the draft order. Take us in, uh, take us behind the scenes for the draft lottery drawing on Monday night. I also asked for it, by the way, people were saying, why did the NHL invite you? And they didn't, I, I went to them and said, Hey, can I come in? Because I, I, I've never seen it before. And I wanted to, uh, it was also near me. It was in North Jersey, so only about an hour from my house. Okay. And I, I figured there's a historic component to this. Connor Bedard, everyone expects him to be a you know a generational talent, and I have no doubt that he will be. So that was part of it. And then I, I guess I just ended up picking a really good night in the sense that there was all this controversy that surrounded it, whether it was the on a, the on air sort of production error that caused uh, 
Kevin Weeks to read the prompt um, or whether it was the fact that Bedard ended up going to Chicago with that pick, that that draft lottery spot, that people were saying this is rigged. You know, uh, of course the NHL wants him to go to one of its biggest markets, the third largest U.S. market. And I'm, I'm just here to tell you, I, if you've listened to me long enough, you know that I carry no one's water. Um, there's nothing even close to being controversial or eyebrow raising about the process that the NHL does with the draft lottery. It is all on the up and up. I sat there, I was sequestered. They took my phone. I watched the whole thing. You can actually, it's all, it's not just, you don't have to take my word for it. Go watch the video that NHL.com puts out of the entire proceeding. It's like 11 minutes of Gary Bettman reading rules followed by what I think has, is incredibly uh, thrilling when you see those balls pop up and you can sit there with a sheet and try and figure out you know, where that last ball lands uh, of what the possibilities are for Connor Bedard to go to. It's, the drama is legit. And I think the biggest thing that the NHL has struggled with in the draft lottery process has been just conveying that to fans. It's not hard to get this right. All they have to do is take that draft lottery machine that I got to watch and roll that down the hallway into the studio. Right. Do that live on air. Because it would first off eliminate any questions that anyone has. And second, it would be legitimate made for TV drama. Like it is, I was captivated just sitting in a sterile room that was silent with the only thing you could hear was the the hum of the machine to think that you could put like dramatic music and then calculate the odds live on the screen as it's happening which i'm sure they have the software capability to do yep it'd be really freaking cool so i i'm glad that i had a front row seat to it um again here to tell you there's everything is as straightforward and as legitimate as it gets I, i i could bear witness to that with two other really well-respected reporters as well in the room with me. And so, so what you're saying, Frank, is that, uh, yes, there was a, an on-air uh, mishap that made a lot Correct. of people wonder if this thing was rigged and a lot of people who believe the fact that Chicago got it means that it was rigged. The only thing that I would say to that is they did, a, like, if this thing was rigged, why was Connor McDavid in the smallest market in the NHL? And, and that's not a knock on Edmonton, but if it was rigged, Connor would be in Toronto or New York yeah, or Chicago or LA. That they'd pick for him to go. Uh, and, and more than that, yeah. so just from a pure timing perspective, just so everyone understands, uh, the lottery show that you guys watched last evening started at 6 p.m. Mountain Time. Yes. The actual lottery itself, drawing the ping pong balls, was over by 4:30. So I was sitting in there knowing the results of who had won that number one and two overall pick an hour and a half before they ever even got on air. So they they stubbed their toe on the presentation. It's not the first time, and and personally, I, as I just said, I don't think there's any reason to do it, but. It doesn't have anything to do with the actual results itself, which okay. were already decided. Did uh, like anything interesting while watching it play out? Anything? I, I read the whole article. It's it's a it's a really neat read. Um, you know the fact that that Nashville was uh, a ball away, or like I'm just curious that as you were observing and watching, anything that really jumped out at you. Yeah, I started to hint at it, but just the intensity in the room, like you could cut it with a knife. No one's rooting for anyone, but what hit me is after that third ball is drawn, when you're waiting for the fourth, to think about the 11 other ones that are floating in that little lottery vat there, it's, there's a lot on the line. It's not just like, where is Connor Bedard going to spend the next however many 10 years of his life playing, if not longer. It's also... How many of these teams that lost are eventually going to lose their, like people at work, they're going to lose their jobs in parts just because they didn't get this guy and their team isn't going to be quite as good. I mean, look, we know that 
it's sometimes foolish to, to overstate the lottery. And I think of uh, how disappointed Joe Sackick was walking out when, you know, they didn't get the number one pick and had to settle for Kale McCarr at number four. And those things happen. And if you look through the draft, there's been some really good players picked at three, whether it's Mitch Barner, or Kale McCarr at four, whatever it is, you can still get really good players. And this year's draft is, is apparently no exception. But there was one and one prize only, it really felt like, and it was the guy at the very top. And to think about all the, the stuff that goes along with that, how, you know, just look at last night, two and a half million dollars in tickets sold in 90 minutes in Chicago. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of ancillary benefits. Your team becomes relevant again. Your market becomes important. It changes everything. No doubt. And uh, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how that passing of the torch works in Chicago. Last thought for you, uh, just because we've barely touched on anything on the ice, but I, I guess we touched a little bit on where Toronto sits in their series with Florida, but you have a 5-1 win for Vegas on Monday to take a 2-1 series lead on Edmonton. Kraken have got a 2-1 series lead on Dallas. Just uh, anything playoff-wise that uh, you wanted to end with? Anything that's uh, jumped off the page for you? I will end our chat with a hot take. Okay, lay it on me. Winner winner of game four tonight between Carolina and New Jersey wins the series. Okay. I like that. Crazy? I don't think so. Devils have already come back once from being down 0-2. Um, and if you're talking about Carolina up 3-1, heading back to Raleigh with that opportunity, no, I, I, uh, I think that's very fair. Okay. Well, there you go. Maybe, maybe hot, maybe not. Hot. hot I, I would say hot, but not red hot. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe it's just a lukewarm kind of day after spending the day sequestered in Secaucus. No, definitely not lukewarm. Never lukewarm. Uh, good stuff, man. That was, uh, that was really cool to read the, uh, the behind the scenes on the draft lottery. Cause it's, uh, it's cool to be there. It's super fascinating how they go about their business, and I'm with you. They could make that show even more suspenseful going forward with some of the ideas that uh, you threw out there. We'll do it again next week. We'll hear you Thursday with the guys in the morning. Uh, thank you, pal. Appreciate it. As always, Frank. Have a good one, Pat. You too, man. That's Frank Saravalli. He's our daily face-off NHL insider. He joins us Tuesdays. Lots in there, whether it be the Flames GM search, uh, the Bedard lottery stuff, what's happening in New York with uh, Gerard Gallant out as head coach and a whole lot more. Frank Saravalli, our NFL, NFL NHL insider from Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. He joins us every week. Brought to you by South Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. Flames Talk is live on Calgary's hockey station, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson of Post Media along with you this hour on Flames Talk. Thanks to Frank Saravalli for kicking us off this hour. Hi, Wes. Welcome aboard this hour. Hey, buddy. How are you? Doing all right. Um, I think we said on Monday's show that kind of end of May is a... Between now and end of May, realistic window for when a new general manager would be in place. I think we said that on Monday. Yeah. Do we get a little bit of an update, maybe? I think a little bit. This was uh, so after the Flames were locked in as the 16th overall selection at the NHL Draft Lottery on Monday night. Uh, President of Hockey Operations Don Maloney spoke with uh, Flames TV and Brendan Parker and gave us uh, a little bit of an update as to where things sit on the uh, GM search side of things. We're searching for a general manager now. We, yeah. we hope to have one in place uh, by the time our meetings show up. It, it may not happen. It may not be quite as that quick. But in an ideal world, we'll have a manager in place that will have his own views and sort of right. what... Uh, 
what uh, he sees as a priority for the team. And there's a lot of uh, names to look at and, and, and different types of people. There's a lot of uh, assistant GMs. Uh, we have two very good assistant GMs right here in Calgary that are certainly strong contenders. So it takes time to go through initial interviews and secondary interviews and uh, then in-person interviews. And, and that's just part of the process we're going through right now. So when it's done and we get the right guy, then we'll announce it and onward we go. So he says by our meetings, and he's referring to the amateur scouting meetings, which he says will take place in a couple of weeks. So here we are on May 9th, and a couple of weeks would get us to May 23rd. So sometime in the next two to three weeks, is it, it sounds like what the timeline is going to be. They've started to talk to people. I think they've done some preliminary interviews, maybe not the, the nuts and bolts present your plan to us interviews, but I, I d- definitely believe they've done some exploratory talks. And and so, yeah, two to three weeks seems like a pretty good timeline. Three weeks would get us to right till the end of May. Do you have to give two weeks notice as an assistant general manager in the NHL? I'm not sure how that works, especially like at this time. Like, I don't, I don't know if you do. I'm not sure if, because once you get the permission to be spoken to to other teams, that essentially is your two weeks notice, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. It's a it, it was a interesting comment from Don Maloney, and I watched that clip last night, and, and I'm sure had the same reaction you did. Like that, that's a little tidbit of news. It's it's a little bit more on the timeline than I think we've heard. And, and so well, he told us when he sat down with us on. Monday of last week, following the Daryl Sutter news, he said he wanted to have somebody in place uh, before the draft and wanted to, you know, didn't want to, uh, didn't want to wait too long. So kind of felt like, you know, end of May into June, right. and that that whittles it down even a little bit more. Yeah, a couple of weeks is a, uh, suddenly feels like an aggressive timeline, and and you know, we heard him say it might not happen by then, but when you get your amateur scouts together for those meetings and what happens behind the scenes on those days is essentially finalizing your list, talking about the sort of uh, traits that you're going to value as an organization so that when you get down to that decision on the draft floor, okay, we got, I don't even know what it is, five minutes or, or however long to make this decision. Okay, well, here's how we've sorted our list. Here's what we need positionally. Here, here's what we value. We know, you know, under Brad Treliving, it was it was so much about hockey sense. I, yep. I'm sure that's something that's highly valued, obviously, in any organization. But to hear Don Maloney say that he would like the new general manager to be a part of those meetings in a couple weeks to, I suppose, set that tone. That that's really interesting to me. Well, and it, it does. It it seems a little aggressive, especially if it's an external hire. Um internally maybe it's not as aggressive if you know if I, I don't I don't believe either Conroy or Pascal have had like their straight up um full-on interview as of yet I, I don't know that for a hundred percent fact though um but let's assume for the sake of the conversation that they haven't as of yet but if you're like yeah okay this was this this was this convinced us and we are going to go internal well then maybe it's a little bit easier to have that in place. But I even think back to when they hired Brad Treliving. Uh, we've already passed the timeline as to when he was put in place in 2014. It was late April 2014 when Brad Treliving was hired. And so that gave him a month and a half, uh, a little bit more than a month and a half leading up to his first NHL draft. Now they'd been without a general manager a lot longer though. Yes, they had basically been without a GM since December. I want to say December or yeah. early January. And yeah, so, I think it was December 2013 when Jay Feaster and John Weisbrod got the heave-ho. Right, and so I just want to point that out because it does change the timeline a little bit in the sense of Brian Burke had been making calls about assistant general managers for months at that point. I, I think he'd really honed in on Brad Treliving, and then basically you're waiting for the season to end so you can get the permissions and, and start to do that search. Yeah, and you know, I even look back and uh, maybe one day maybe one day I'll ask Tree about the 2014 draft because it was very different Oof. than the other drafts yes. that he uh, presided over. There, there was a different feel to the selections. I mean, Bennett was, I think, going to be their pick regardless, but you know, just Hunter Smith and Mason, Mason McDonald. McDonald. It, it, 
the value picks weren't there the same way they were from 2015 on where they started to hit on things a little bit more and they started to, you know, I think about Manjapani and Dubé and Phillips and Shillington um, Wolf, just like some of the guys they started getting Anderson in, in the later rounds round two and beyond. We, we weren't seeing that as much in the 2014 yeah. draft. Let me, Tell me if I'm overanalyzing this because okay. this was my reaction to what Don Maloney said. And so tell me, be honest, if I'm overanalyzing okay. this, if they want to have someone in place in a couple of weeks, that indicated to me he might already have a, a sort of favorite, a front runner. Yeah, I could, or a whittled down list of finalists. Yeah. Like kind of two or three names that he believes. The right fit is there. Yeah, I think that's probably which I don't. I don't know if it's. I. I don't know if I can say a hundred percent that. Right. But that that's pretty decent read. I think which sort of goes against everything that we're hearing and and the different names and and buckle up, Flames fans. This is gonna be the next two weeks. You're gonna hear Stan Bowman's name for a couple days, and then you're gonna hear Mark Hunter, and then. You're going to hear a lot of names yep. until this thing's done. And some of them will be confirmed interviews. Some of them will be, I heard there was interest. Some of them will be framed as, I wonder if they'd make a call about so-and-so. Yep. Educated wondering, if you would. I just went two weeks to me. And again, Don Maloney said it might not happen that fast. But if you're looking to have someone in two weeks, you're pretty well down that road, at least internally in terms of what, what you're in thinking your mind, is. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I guess I, I think about it a little bit and I, I feel like you'd want to have the external hire in who doesn't know the organization in a more expedited fashion than you would one of your internal guys, because your internal guys know the, the organization, know the list. I mean, I think about, I think about, you know, just talking to Conroy, the times that I have, like he, he works up like 45 of the guys that they, they kind of have their list and all the guys that they have do reports, do reports on X number of guys in Conroy. So Conroy knows that list um, very, very intimately and works up 35, 40, 45 reports for the guys that make up their 50-person list, right? And, so, and I've heard that list might be 65 or 70 this year. Really? Just because it's such a deep draft? I, I suppose so, or or maybe a little bit of the uncertainty until yesterday about exactly where they'd be picking, but right. I, I think that list is is even more expansive than it's been in the past, and maybe part of that, and I, I'm just speculating here, but maybe part of that is not knowing what the vision of the new... GM's going to be. I yeah. mean, if you focus on guys who are, you never go in saying we're looking only for small guys, but let's say skill is your absolute top priority, but the new GM comes in and for the sake of the Flames franchise, I hope this in the case and says, we need to get bigger. Let's go get me the biggest guys out there. Well, you, you better have a couple options on your list. Yeah. A few of the names that, could be in the mix. Maloney mentioned assistant general managers that they've talked to around the league. Uh, a few of the names on that list are, are, are still involved with teams playing in the playoffs. Now, again, I don't really know how involved an AGM is at this point of the season. Right. The work's been done. Now it's more just, you know, there's some day-to-day -day work to do, but I don't think it's as labor intensive now as it would be in December or January are, are you or July. Are you suggesting that the Maple Leafs fate tomorrow in a must win game does not necessarily hinge on whether Brandon Pridham has interviewed with the flames? No, I don't. I find it. I find it hard to be able to make that argument that I don't know if Kyle Dubas can really impact things anymore. He's whether, whether it's, the best possible work or not. Right. We, Leafs fans will debate that till the cows come home. But I think he's done all his work for this year when it comes to the team on the ice. Let me just uh, latch on to something you said earlier, because now you have me wondering. Yeah. I wonder if the preference or, you know, the ideal world approach being the way Don Maloney put it, to have a general manager in place for those 
organizational staffing meetings is in some way a reflection of what happened in 2014. And I don't know exactly when those meetings were and what Brad's role was, but they, the Flames botched the 2014 draft. And I wonder, looking back, if if that might even be a lesson learned from it is we need the GM in place. And, and especially this year with, you know, the significance of, of the draft in terms of a team that just missed the playoffs, which was also the case in 2014, but a team that needs to restock the cupboards in, in that age range because they haven't had a lot of draft capital in recent years. And the fact that I've been hearing for three years since these kids were at the start of their major junior careers, how deep of a draft this was yep. going to be. This In scouting circles, this has been a draft circled on the calendar for quite a while. And so I just wonder if if that's a little bit of a lesson learned or a we can't go down this road again that, you know, we can't blow this draft. Well, and, and that's a really that's a really good point. And I Again, I don't know this for a 1 million percent certainty, but I'm pretty confident. Every just, time I'm in here, the percents get a little bit bigger, and I love it. And they don't ever really make <laughs> mathematical sense, but I don't know if you can do a million percent. But I'm I'm not, like, completely without a shadow of a doubt positive on this, but no, just based on the people that I speak to and, and trust, like, my understanding of 2014 was things were in place under Brian Burke, who was the acting general manager at the time and and marching orders had kind of been given to the scouting staff and they they went with those cuz that's how they had been scouting and putting their list together leading up to so Brad Living gets hired in late April there wasn't like a ton of time to completely revamp the list from in in that month and a half leading up to the 2014 draft so the marching orders and the approach was very much with how they'd been working throughout the year. And it changed from there on out because following that draft and into that off season, the keys really were given to tree. Like it was Brian Burke was still the president of hockey operations, but tree was the guy who was steering that ship, but maybe hadn't gotten full control or, or I'm not, and I'm not suggesting that it was meddling or anything like that. It was just because of the timing didn't have the, all the levers working on that 2014 draft. And I just, the evidence is overwhelming when you take a look at what happened after that. You, they, they, they picked Bennett and then the next five picks combined for zero NHL games. Give us the names. Mason McDonald, Hunter Smith, Brandon Hickey, Adam Olis Matson, Austin Carroll were the next five picks. And, and three of those were top 65 picks right. in McDonald, Smith, and Hickey, and they never played a single game. Well, and the, you know, what stings the most about Mason McDonald is he was not the top ranked goalie in that draft. No, class. two picks later was Demko. Thatcher Demko was widely considered, like it wasn't even being debated whether Mason McDonald might be the best goalie in the draft class, but the flames had him higher. And before Demko was even off the board, took Mason McDonald. And then the next two years, guys outside of the first round have all played multiple NHL games, the 15 and 16 draft, uh, Manjapani, Shillington, Anderson, Fox, Dubé, and Matthew Phillips have all played NHL games, and they were all outside the top 30 uh, afterwards. So I, there you go. I would say the the sort of value drafting was one of the strong suits of, 100%. of the Trilliving era. Yep. Absolutely. And I we should point out, because you said Brian Burke was, I don't know if anxious is the right word to hand over the keys, but, but that was always the plan. As soon as Brad got settled in Calgary, Brian Burke like hey this is this is your, your team this is your Porsche or whatever it was at that time you know you drive it and I know that and I chatted with him again yesterday I know Don Maloney feels the same way like Don Maloney's not looking to bring a new GM in in two weeks and run this draft anyways Don Don Maloney is eager not because he doesn't want to help do some of the work but Don Maloney really believes that the next general manager has to be the one who sets the vision, who sets the tone, who 
brings the list of key ingredients for what the recipe for the Calgary Flames is going to be. And yeah. so I just think that's important to point out. I know Don has said it in his interviews with you, and, and I just think for anyone who hasn't heard it, it's important to know Like Don Maloney doesn't want to be one of those president of hockey operations who is pulling the strings behind the scenes. He's, he's quite keen to hand this over to whoever is hired as the general manager. Speaking of which, I'm curious what that new GM is is going to decide on Tyler Toffoli because, first of all, very cool, very deserving. Team Canada captain of the World Championship earlier on Tuesday. Canada opens up their pre-tournament schedule with a 5-2 win over Hungary in Budapest. Um, but cool, uh, Toffoli the captain, four alternates, including the two other Flames on the team, Milan Lucic and Mackenzie Wieger, so that's super neat. I'm really fascinated to see, you know, here here's to Foley getting a C and and getting a cool leadership honor. And we're talking about a Stanley Cup winner and a guy with plenty of playoff experience and a ton of NHL games under his belt. I am fascinated to find out how the new regime and the new hockey operations department sees to Foley as part of the long-term future with this team. 31 years old. Coming off a career season, as we know, he'll enter the final year of his contract. He's publicly said he'd like to stay. Um, here he is getting a, a, a nice little honor for Team Canada at the World Championships. Championship, I always get that mixed up, World Championship. And the interesting thing about Toffoli, when, when I was digging into this earlier on Tuesday... This guy's never been on a deal longer than four years in his NHL career. The current four-year deal that Montreal signed him to that expires at the end of next season is the longest deal he's ever been on. So I don't think Tyler enters his next contract talks, whether it's with the Flames or in unrestricted free agency in just over a year, looking for a seven-year deal. I think that he's very comfortable being on three- and four-year deals, and I think he understands that now at the age of 31, he's probably not going to be getting a super long-term deal. So it just its got me thinking, would you go four years and, and extend to Foley this summer? And I know that that would take him to the age of 36, um, but it's got me thinking. And I, I know you and I talked about this a few weeks ago, and the more that I've thought about it, the more that I've talked to people, not just with the flames, but you know, talking to a few different people around the league and, and some, some people involved in contract talks and just the value of guys who want to be here and who are not going to demand a significant overpay to stay in Calgary and with the flames. I think it has to be a big factor. And if Toffoli wants to be here and you can get him on a four year deal and you're not giving him a crazy raise on the 4.25 he's on right now. I know he's over 30, and I know you want to limit how many guys you've got under 30 on longer-term deals, but I think you got to consider it. I really do. I just want to start by saying this, and then I'll get to your question. I, I hope Tyler Toffoli is really proud to be wearing the C for Team it's Canada. And cool. I, I'm sure he is. I, I thought our buddy Darren Haynes put it really well. You know, this isn't... This isn't the biggest tournament in North America. Focus is on the Stanley Cup playoffs, and, and that's where it should be. But this is really neat. And if you go look at the list of guys who've worn the C for Team Canada at Worlds, it's like you go back to the 80s, and it's Lanny McDonald and Bobby Clark and Daryl Sittler and a young Steve Eiserman. You look recently, and it's Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid. Like This is a really neat honor. For Tyler Toffoli, a guy who hasn't always had a letter on his jersey at any level. And so to be recognized by Hockey Canada and by Team Canada as the captain for this group, I, I'm sure he's really proud of it, and I certainly hope he is. On to your question. If you ask me just generically, what's the most nerve-wracking type of NHLer to enter contract talks with it's a 30 plus player yep. coming off a career season. And I guess in this case, I'm really happy. I'm not the next general manager of the Calgary flames, because I think this is a really difficult one to wade into. Absolutely. You want Tyler to Foley to be 
a part of this. His his value at the Saddledome, I think we learned this year how great it is. He he was arguably their best player for the entire season. He was certainly on the short list and, and he was a guy who didn't ever fall off the list of who's who's performing at the best right now. And so he's absolutely a guy you want involved and yet He's got a contract for one more year. That takes him to 32. So when you talk about even a four-year deal, you're taking him into 36. 36. Yep. Coming off his career best season, he's probably maybe going to want a fifth year to maximize the value. And that's where I just start to get really, really nervous. I'm not sure at what point you can sort of kick this downfield without insulting Tyler Toffoli. I'd love to have him you know, if I'm the new GM, I'd love to have him a part of it, but I'd be really worried about a big raise or big term for a guy who's earned a big raise and who has earned substantial term, but can you be the team giving it out right now? I'll just throw this out there to wrap up the hour. You go to Tyler Toffoli, offer him four years on an extension, $5 million on the AAV, that's a $750,000 raise, it's, I think, I don't think it's insulting. He may not take it, but I don't think it's an insulting offer. If you could get him at four years on a $5 million AAV, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind that ballpark that you're talking. Um, but if you started saying five point whatever, especially with some of the cap commitments this team has coming up and and knowing that the youth are going to be so crucial to what you know to what it looks like you you've got to supplement this core with some youth yep. and they got to hit or you're going to be in trouble as an organization and when they hit and you hope they do you got to be able to pay them and so i i just i would hate i, I don't want to be the guy who's on the radio today saying don't sign Tyler to Foley but I just don't want to go much higher and certainly not longer than what you're talking about. Pat and Wes from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Wrapping up this hour, do you have cracks in your walls, floors, or ceilings? Visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. They are all things basementy.